1: One of the guys went to me, oh, Linda, be careful. They said, oh, be really careful, Linda, He's, he wants you. But I just really didn't see the danger that was there. I totally changed, completely and utterly changed at that moment. To me, I just look back and think, what's that, a real person?
0: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World... A podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. She's the ultimate gangster's mall, a hardened East Ender dubbed the Black Widow, who married a mobster and wound up turning to a life of crime herself. But the murder of her lover, notorious crime boss Ron Cook, landed Linda Calvi with a life sentence served over 18 years in some of the UK's most notorious prisons. Run-ins with child killer Myra Hinley, marriage proposals from Ronnie Cray and Charles Bronson, and a hitman she claims did it all for love, followed. This week, I'm talking to Linda, a first-time author of a new crime fiction book, The Locksmith. She tells me how she's delved deep into her own past, to come up with her cast of characters and admits that sometimes fact can be far stranger than fiction. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. You must be very proud that you have um, your first, well, book of fiction out with your name on it, you know. Yes.
1: Yes, I am. I really am. And um, it is a two book deal and there is a follow up. So I don't know what the next one will be called, but there is a follow up to this one. And I hope people enjoy it enough that they want to buy the second book next time.
0: And no doubt you'll be dipping into your treasure trove of your own life experiences in the next one, as you have done in this.
1: Yes. Um, All my characters are loosely based on, I say loosely, it is quite loose, um, on people that I've met or know. Um, even the, the, the horrible ones, of people that I've met through time. And I've, each person in my book is based on an actual person, but maybe 20% is that person and the other 80% is fiction around that person. So it's a, a bit of
0: a mix, really. But uh, unlike most authors, you certainly have the actual life experience, to go back on. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. And we've met before, Linda, and um, you know, I would I just I found you your 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 life story is pretty amazing. You um have been dubbed by the media as the black widow. Yes. And you're a self professed gangster's mall, and neither of those two titles particularly bother you. You laugh them off. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't.
1: I don't take myself seriously, and um, so be it. If that's what I'm
0: called, that's what I'm called. Mm.
1: And yes, I suppose I was the criteria. I was I was against this mole, and I'm not anymore. I'm now a, a legitimate author, and I live a quite quiet life with. My family, I mean, I've seen my son and daughter and my grandchildren regularly and my brothers and sisters and all my family have stayed very close to me. And at times I wondered why, because I think they must have felt like pulling their hair out. But they've all stayed really um, close to me and they all love me and I love them dearly. And now they're all very, very proud to say, Linda's done a book, and we're so proud of her. And we know it's going to do really well. And they'll all be listening into the program. And I, I'm pleased that I now really make them proud instead of
0: thinking, "Oh God, what's she done now?" Because you know, not so long ago, you were you were sp- serving an 18 year prison term for murder. And you were in jail with the likes of Myra Hinley. I think you were actually her hairdresser. But we'll come back to that.
1: Yes. Because yeah.
0: we have to start really at the beginning with you. And um, I just want to bring you back to your your childhood, which is really where it all began. Your mother mm-hmm. was a market trader. I think your dad was a blacksmith. So you had a very stable, loving home. But you do remember a moment in childhood when you gazed upon something that you knew you wanted.
1: Yes, yes. I was um, my dad's old van. You can imagine, really tatty old van. He was a blacksmith. He used to have all the old iron and stuff thrown in it. Um, And I was out with my mum and dad. We were going to visit one of my aunts. And we pulled up at the lights. And I looked out the window and saw this wonderful big red gleaming car and I looked and the man was smoking a big cigar and the lady had a fur coat on. And I looked and thought, oh, my God, that looks so wonderful. I mean, I suppose if you thought about it, the car must have stunk, <laughs> tobacco, and God knows what. But in my eyes, it was like, it was amazing. There was this wonderful car. And I said, oh, one day I'm going to have a red car, the same as that. And my dad said... I hope you do, darling, because if you have one of them, that means you're a wealthy lady. So I said, does it, daddy? He said, yes, that's a rolls a Roller, a Rolls-Royce. He said, the best car in the world. And I went, one day I'm going to have one of those. And I actually got one but not until the end of when I was no longer a criminal and my last husband George who was nothing at all to do with criminality and was actually a legitimate businessman had a Red Rolls Royce and he collected me from prison and I went home in my Red Rolls Royce which was quite I suppose amazing really of all the things he could have had. And it's, I felt like, well, I've gone full circle. <laughs> what I wanted as a little girl, I suddenly ended up with.
0: And I mean, lots of experience in between. Um, so you're an East Ender and you you kind of, your first husband was a man called Mickey Calvi, who um, introduced you really to crime. He was a criminal, an armed robber, but he had everything you desired he had that the bit of excitement there was the little whiff of sulfur i think you you liked in your relationships and
1: yeah he was he, he had film star looks um he had a fantastic personality a huge larger than life personality um and he had the knack of that women loved him as well as men admired him and I just fell hook, line and sinker for this man. And I didn't even think about when he said to me, you know, I'm an armed robber, don't you? And I went, all right. <laughs> it was, and I sort of, it, it didn't even sort of think to me, well, oh, he's an armed robber, I better give him a wide berth. I sort of was smitten from the very beginning. And I think it sort of gives my family a few sort of, Scares going, oh God, what's she doing? But as we all
0: know, if you fall in love with somebody, nobody can tell you what to do. So he provided a good lifestyle for you, I think, one that was funded by his crimes.
1: Yes. Yeah, I did. We did have a good life. We had, I always had very nice clothes. Um, My home was always lovely. He used to buy me a new car every year. Um,
0: yeah, I suppose for a young girl, I had a, a, a really, really good life. And he would be plotting and planning his adventures around your kitchen table. and right
1: my kitchen mm, table, yes. Um,
0: I think because he
1: never drove. So I think he used to say to everybody, oh, come to my house. we we do it in my house. And I've been making cups of tea and sort of sandwiches. And I know it sounds like a bit of a cliche and it would be, um, do you want pickling your sandwich while well, they're saying, right, you'll be here, I'll be here, That going to go there. And it and it, it sounds very surreal now, but it it seems so normal that these robberies were being plotted and I'm making sandwiches and
0: cups of tea. <laughs> and you had your two children as well. Um, one, I think, before he went to prison and one after. Is that right? Yes. I had Melanie
1: before he went to prison. We actually got married when he was in prison. He was in Wandsworth Prison, and um, that is actually where, not in the prison itself, they bought him out of the prison and we got married in the registry office in Wandsworth. So I suppose even that, my first, you know, marriage, I was involved with prisons
0: and whatever. I suppose it's sort of just become like the natural thing. And what became of of Mickey Calvey? And he had a very unfortunate and tragic end, I think.
1: Yes, he was, I mean, he was committing a robbery. And had he have got caught, I would have, and he would have said, well, it's part of the thing. You get caught, you get caught. And if he'd got 15 years, so be it. But he didn't. And he was running away and he was shot through the back. Something just happened to my brain, I think. I just totally switched and decided, right, this is it. I I will do what you died doing. I will do
0: everything. And Linda, what year was that and what age were your children?
1: I was 30 when that happened. So that's 42 years ago. And my daughter then was eight and my son was four. So it, it was really shock it totally changed our lives totally changed their lives
0: and like the case nowadays when somebody involved in crime dies there is no life insurance policy there's no pension there's no payout you're left with nothing and I suppose that's one of the downsides of money that comes from crime that there is just there's no longevity to it um after his after his uh his death during that botched raid there was underworld fundraisers set up um so tell me a bit about those you 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 really were left with nothing no that's right i mean the
1: reason i mean he was actually doing this robbery he always thought december was very unlucky anyway and didn't want to work, do a job in december um but they'd been once and they were too late and then they went again and for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And he said, I really, really don't want to go. I really he really had a bad feeling about going. And I said to him, well, don't go. We, have, If you need money, go and speak to my parents. I know my mum and dad will lend you money. And he said, I wouldn't do that. Your dad brought nine children up and never asked anybody for anything. I'm not going to go and ask your dad to loan me money, which my dad would have loaned him. Um, And he said, no, I've got to go. I've got to provide for my family. And he went. And knowing that he really didn't want to go, but he still did go, um, it totally devastated me. And I remember when I was told that he was dead, all I could hear was somebody, be screaming and screaming and somebody saying slap around the face she's hysterical and in my head I could hear me going slap around the face whoever that is stop her screaming but it was actually me and I think my brain I totally changed completely and utterly changed at that moment and I never changed back until the day that I was arrested. And on that day that I was arrested and I had a gun pointed at me, I clicked back and realised, I thought, my God, this is horrible, this is terrifying. And my, I clicked
0: back to the person I was before and I thought, oh my God, how have I done all these things? This is so terrible. So do you mean you hardened at that moment when that happened and you sort of hardened as a person? Yes, I think so. You also realised you had to step up as the provider, maybe for your family? Yes,
1: yeah. I mean, I remember when he was in his coffin and the morning of his funeral and um, the funeral director said, oh, come in and say your goodbyes. And I went in and he had to little poses in each hand from my children and I put a rose on his um, on his jacket and he had loads of little trinkets and little bits and letters from friends and whatever. So because he was holding these little poses, I held his toes and I said to him, I promise you, I will do what you died for and I will make sure our children have everything that you want them to have. And I can remember that as as clear as day. And I thought, no, this is it. I have to do this for him. And, I mean, I don't know if maybe if I'd have gone and had some counselling, things would have been very different, but I didn't. Um, And I think all those years ago, people didn't go and have counselling. It wasn't really thought about. And... It was, as I say, I told him I completely changed. I was, and I look back and the person that I was then is so alien to me now that I look back and think, God, how was I that person? It, it is
0: so alien. So this was during the 1980s when criminals were becoming more and more violent and gangland was becoming mm. more violent um it was at one of the underworld fundraisers held by your husband's friends to support the family that you met the next man in your life who was going to be a far different criminal than than Mickey Calvey ever was. So tell me about that and meeting meeting Ronnie Cook. Yes. Um
1: I was at the the first um evening that they did for me a fundraiser and he came in and I was standing with the people that had organised the, the fundraising and he walked over and he said oh you look wonderful and I was, thank you and he gave me a large bottle of Chanel perfume and he said this is for you I hope that's okay and I went oh thank you and as he walked away one of the guys went to me oh Linda be careful careful of him he's really dangerous and I said he's just give me a bottle of perfume and that was it now going back sort of 42 years ago and then they said all right we're going to start doing a raffle the people donated things and um there was a, a case of wine and they held it up and said right um who'd like to give 50 pounds for this case of wine and it was sort of like oh 55 and then he went a thousand pounds well 42 years ago, a thousand pounds was a lot of money. So the auctioneer went, Well, I doubt there's going to be any more bids above this. Um, Sold to Ronnie Cook. So he went over and he gave the thousand pounds and he went, Raffle it again and just went. And on the second one, the same thing happened again. And they said, Oh, be really careful, Linda, he wants you. And everybody was sort of warning me, but I just really didn't see the danger that was there.
0: And I did end up with Ronnie Cook. Ronnie Cook was a a friend, an associate of Ronnie and Reggie Cray, and he was an associate of Freddie Foreman, is that correct? Yes,
1: yeah. He was... um, I mean, I didn't know till afterwards that every the amount of people that said, Linda, he, he was so feared, everybody feared him. And to me, he, in the beginning, I, I just couldn't imagine him being that feared. But as time went on, I, I did see for myself exactly how feared he was. And um, he he was sort of buying me things and one day he come up and he said, I've, I've bought you a ring. And I said, oh. So he said, put it on your finger. And I said, oh, what's that for? He said, that's so you belong to me. And I went, oh, have it back then. And he went, you can't take it off. You've put it on your finger, you cannot take it off. And that's when I realised that I'd become this bird in a gilded cage. And it was, I mean, everybody then was saying, We don't know what you're going to do, Linda. We don't know what you're going to do. Ron went to prison and he said to me, You will wait for me, won't you? So I said, Yes. He said, Good, because
0: you've got a lovely looking son. How many years were you with Ronnie Cook? Um, I was actually only with him
1: for. I think about 18 months and then he went to prison.
0: But I visited him in prison all the time. And in that time, Cook was married. So you were essentially his mistress that was being lavished with gifts and diamonds and but his
1: wife was also
0: lavished. He wasn't it wasn't
1: um a case of that I was getting all these things. His wife had
0: was given everything to. And did she know of your existence?
1: Um, I don't think she did. I mean, I, I didn't know her. She didn't know me, I don't think. I mean, that is probably my biggest regret of my whole life, ever meeting Ronnie Cook. It really is. Was he violent to you? Um, he could be. He could be violent. Um but he would follow me and, I mean, I was out one day with my best friend, well, it was Mickey's sister, and we'd gone down the market. And all of a sudden she went to me, Ron's looking at you behind that stall. And I went, where? And I I went, oh, God. So she went, shall I go and talk to him? I went, no, don't talk to him. Don't let him see. You've seen him. And he kept, as we were going down the market, he kept appearing everywhere. And then when I got back to my house, he was sitting with the newspaper and he said to me, oh, where have you been? So I said, oh, I went to the market. So he said, oh, what did you do? Who did you see? And I thought, I've got to tell him exactly who I've spoken to and who I've seen. And I missed out the delicatessens and he went, you went in the delicatessen. So I went. Oh yeah, that's right. Who are you seeing in the delicatessen? I'm I not seeing anybody in the delicatessen. I'm going down there and I shall check. And it was like, for God's sake, I've never had this in my life. And it was, it was, it was really horrible. And
0: then he went when he went away. I thought, oh, thank God for that. Mm. He you had got in too deep maybe and he had full access to your house. He had a key. He had, Mm -hmm. you know, he'd taken ownership of your life maybe. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think he did. I mean, he, he he was a really scary man. And a, a lot of the people that I knew said to me, Linda, I'd love to go and say to like, say to him, leave her alone. She doesn't want you, but you can't say that to Ron Cook because if, you can't argue with Ron Cook because he will kill you. He will shoot you. And this was a lot of the, the um, sort of so-called, I, I suppose, gangsters and villains at the time who wouldn't think twice about going and sticking up for somebody, all went, Linda, can't quite leave him out. Sorry, can't do anything. And so when he went away, when he went away, and I visited him, and I just thought, oh, over time he'll yeah, just forget, forget about me. And I think I still, in one way, resigned to the fact of oh, when he comes home, I'm back in the same situation. But now my children have grown up, etc. They've got that much bigger.
0: He got 16 years. What did he get put away for? That
1: was for a Brinks mat robbery that he did, and. So when he came home, I sort of just literally resigned myself to, well, I've still got
0: Ron Cook and um, this is it. After Cook was jailed, you were in and out to see him and he had communicated to you that he was expecting you to wait for him. But yes. nonetheless, he was in for a long period of time. So it was a bit of breathing space for you. Yes. But you yourself then got into armed robbery because I presume the finances were were cut off and... You led an armed robbery gang over a number of years.
1: Yes, I did. I know I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny, but it's just, looking back, it's, it's just, to me, I just look back and think, was that a real person? And yes, it was a real person. It was me. And yes, I did do all those things. Um, and then I eventually got caught and went to prison um, and Brian Thurgood got called, and he got 21 years. Who is Brian Thurgood? Brian Thurgood was a friend of Ron's, and we um, started working together, and we ended up um, becoming a couple, and we were together. And then we both got in prison, which meant that, I got I seven years.
0: Doing your armed robberies and uh, yeah. you were working together in the armed robbery gang, so you were a bit of a gangster couple. Yes. Ron Cook is in prison and he obviously doesn't know that a relationship has started between you two. No. Yourself and Thurgood are caught and what, what were you caught doing and... How did it feel for you to be in the dock facing a prison term for the first time in your life? Um, well, I thought I deserved to be there.
1: It it was daunting. Obviously, it wasn't. It's not a nice thing to be in court. It's not a nice thing to go to prison. Um, but I accepted like, that I'd done this. So as Mickey and his friends would say, well, you take a chance. If, if, you, if it goes right, you, you get money, and if you don't, you go to prison. So I accepted that. And
0: Was it one robbery charge, or were you there for multiple robberies?
1: I, I was charged with one. Brian was charged with 21. Um, and Carl, who was also arrested at the same time, was charged with 15 and um, there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes with the police and them, and I ended up, as I say, I ended up the lowest sentence of
0: seven years. Which was one of the longest, I think, that uh, a female had got. It was the
1: longest sentence in Holloway. Going back at that time, I had the biggest sentence in Holloway, seven years.
0: And how did you get on when you went into prison for the first time?
1: Well, it was a real culture shock. I mean, the first time I went in, we got there late and um, there was just a few people left in the reception and the staff just went, I'll put her in the waiting room till we do the paperwork. And there was just two women left in there Um, and one was hitting her head on the wall and going, turn your head and talk to Jesus. Turn your, And I thought, oh, God, these are nutcases. And the other one, I think they'd been left to the end because they were the problems. And the other one was sort of just walking up and down going, <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, I would go insane living with people like this. But actually, um, most of the people weren't like that. But um, it was a real culture shock. And the staff at the time went, oh, God, you've got the biggest sentence in the prison. How will you do it? I said, well, I will do it because I committed the crime. And they went, really? Everybody says they didn't do it. I said, yeah, but I did do it. I did do it. So I accept the punishment. I'm not happy that I've got it, but I accept it. And it's justified.
0: Um, And were the cells on their own or did you share?
1: Um, no, I was on my own a lot of the time, um, but in Holloway, there's cells of singles of four. Um, and a couple of times I did go in with people that I've particularly got on well with, and they said, oh, come in with us. And I, so I sort of varied it, but the majority of the time I was always in a single
0: Women's prisons have been subject of a number of TV dramas over the years. I think the most recent being Orange is the New Black. Is it anything like those shows at all in prison?
1: I've never watched Orange is the New Black. Um, I suppose because I think, oh, it's a bit too near to home. It's like um, when I went to Ireland with three of my sisters, they booked a trip and we went into the closed prison and I went why have you picked this they went, oh we thought you'd like it <laughs> and I thought the last thing I wanted to do was go into prison and as we were walking around there was um, little sayings and names sort of etched in the walls and then somebody went oh God, well, they've just done that for effect, the staff. And without thinking, I said, no, it's probably took them 10 years to do that, coming out and scratching a little bit each day. And somebody looked and went, how would you know that? I went, because I just guessed. (laughs) And And the person walking us around went, actually, she's right. People were out for such a small time and they probably did, each of those little, bits probably did take so long for people to etch their little things on the wall. And it just sort of hit home to me that that is how it was.
0: What age were your children when you were in Holloway?
1: Um, when I went to Holloway, um, Neil was, uh, eight, was he? eight or nine. Amel was 14. And did your own parents look after them? My my son went to my
0: eldest brother, who had two sons, and my daughter went to my mum. So you were, at least you had, at least you had family, I suppose, on the outside to look after them. Other people wouldn't be so lucky. No, I was very lucky. My parents
1: parents straight away took my daughter and my brother took my son.
0: Did you make friends in the prison? I did. Not many. Um... I suppose it's,
1: you talk to everybody. It's like in, in life in general, you speak to lots of people, but the people that you want in your home or the people that you mix with is a quite a small minority. And I think it's
0: it is the same in prison. Now, when you got out, um, Ron Cook started getting parole days as well. And he expected mm-hmm. you to be there for him, to pick him up, to bring him to your home?
1: Yes. I used to pick him up. I used to collect him. And um, on this particular day, it was no different. I picked him up. We pulled up at the house and I opened the door and said to him, I'll pick the milk up, Ron. And we walked in. He, he I don't even know if he still had the milk in his hand. And as we walked into the kitchen, there was a loud bang. And... We looked and there was this big guy. You couldn't see his face because he was white because you could just see the eyes. Um, And there was a hat pulled down and a jumper pulled up, so literally that you saw. And he went, get down on, police!" And Ron went, what's up, mate? And with that, he fired at him. And I saw this blood coming through his coat. And I screamed and bent in the corner. And with that, there was another bang. And there was this awful noise. And I was screaming. And I looked and thought, this is, I'm going to get shot now. I didn't know about this at all. And as I turned my head, Danny went like this, pulled the top down and went, you'll be all right, and run out of the house.
0: And I thought, "Oh my God, I can't say it's him." Danny is the Danny is the man that you will later be discovered to be Daniel Reese, who was the hitman on this occasion, who had burst into your home and killed Ron Cook dead on one of his parole days. Um, so you didn't know him at the time, or you you did know him when he pulled down his mask?
1: Yes, I I never knew him out of prison. I knew him from visiting um, Brian. And he said that his mother used to visit him and she'd had a bad fall. And he said to me, would you mind getting him out so he can have a visit? And I said, I don't mind. If I've got you out, what's the difference? Get somebody else out. And I literally only knew Danny from
0: visiting a prison. Visiting Brian, who was your co-accused, um for the armed robberies and who was previously an associate of Ron Cook. Yes. So what happened after the murder? I presume you were shocked seeing the blood and hearing those awful noises that you described.
1: God, it was it was horrific. And I ran out of my house and there was a policeman walking along and screamed and this policeman came running over. Looked inside the house and went, it's a, mur- it's a murder, 12.28. And the murder was literally one minute. Um, and the police took me in and they um, did tests to eliminate me. And then a couple of days later, they said, oh, why didn't you tell us you were Linda Kelvey? And I said, I did, it's on my statement. They said, well, you didn't tell us you were the Linda Kelvey who was married to Michael Calvey. And I went, what difference does that make? They went, all the difference, we're
0: charging you with the murder. Had you told them, Linda, that you recognised the hitman, Daniel Reese? Had you named Daniel Reese to the police? No. No, I I
1: didn't name him because I thought, how can I name him? He's done this thinking he's protecting me or my son. Um. And it was afterwards that I said to Danny, why did you do it? And he said, I wanted to save your son. Brian said he would kill him. I'd done it to save your son. And I I couldn't name him. I couldn't say it was him. I, I described him accurately, but I didn't say that I knew who the person was. And if he hadn't have pulled this
0: jumper or whatever down, I wouldn't have known it was him. Is that because you had subconsciously signed up to the gangland code of Omerta, that you never rat, you never tell, no matter what?
1: I think there was a lot of that as well. Yeah, I'm sure there was, because it was real, you don't grass,
0: you never grass. So you denied having anything to do with the murder plot um, that resulted in the assassination of, of Ron Cook. And what happened after that?
1: As I say, two days later, the police charged me with the murder and charged Danny with the murder. And we both got found guilty. And I still, to this day, don't know how I got guilty. I still don't know
0: that. And this wasn't seven years in Holloway. This was 18 years. This was a life sentence you got this time.
1: Actually, the, the judge recommended seven years. And he said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. All I can do is refer you straight to the full Court of Appeal. Do you understand what that means? And we both shook our heads. He said, it means you leave this dock as appellants. And we were charged with gangland murder, which I was told gangland murder, the tariff starts at 24 years. And the judge said, seven years. So... To me, in legal circles, he was saying, I'm not happy with his conviction because it was a third of what he should have said. And because through the time I wouldn't say I committed the murder that I didn't do, I ended up
0: serving 18 years. Very few women get convicted of gangland murder.
1: Very, very few. I don't know if there is any other women that have ever been convicted of gangland
0: murder. I don't think there is. And what year did you start that eighteen-year sentence? What what resulted in an eighteen-year sentence? But um, I had only been home eighteen months
1: from my first sentence when I got convicted again. So it was a quite a long time ago because I have now been home
0: twelve years. So we're into the into the nineteen nineties, anyway. Um. So how did you cope this time round going into prison? Well, it
1: didn't hold the fears that it did the first time because I knew what prison was like. But I was determined I would fight all the way through to prove that it wasn't me, that I wasn't guilty. Um, but other than that, you can't beat the system so you can either fight against it and it will crush you or you can go with it and think well the people in here are not the people that have put me here so do what you, just do your normal everyday what you do and in legal side just try and fight and do your best to try and prove that you
0: shouldn't be there so your appeals give you hope but At the same time, you live as normal a life as possible in there.
1: Yeah, that's all you can do. You can't beat them. So there's no point fighting against the system. Once you're in that system, you've just got to go with it.
0: And do you get used to not being able to walk out the door? I mean, to me, the deprivation of liberty must be horrendous, I think.
1: Yeah, it's horrendous. It's really horrendous. And... I mean, especially as I said, I couldn't justify any of the days I did on that sentence. The first sentence I justified every day. This sentence I didn't. But when I came home, I met George and he said to me, you've got so many stories, you should write your books. Um, I didn't start writing my books until George died. And then I did the Black Widow that was very well-received and I really enjoyed writing. So I then decided that I would start doing the fiction and I found I really, really enjoy it. It's an honest, legitimate way of life Um, and I absolutely love bringing my fictional
0: characters to life, doing their fictional crimes (laughs) You certainly got a lot of experience, uh, uh, you know, of life experience during your life sentence. Um, What prison did you serve it in? I was in, I think, about 13 prisons in all.
1: I was moved all around the country and I think that was because I would never say that I committed the crime. So I was moved from pillar to post.
0: Some were obviously better than others, I'm sure.
1: Yes. I mean, I think probably the best two prisons I was in, which people are surprised for me to say, um, were Durham and Holloway. And also, of course, the open prison at the end, which is so different and so easygoing. Um, But those, which everybody goes, oh, we thought they were the worst. I think I sort of got through a lot better in those prisons than the others.
0: And despite the fact that you have always denied your guilt um, regarding Ron Cook's murder, did the fact that you were convicted of a gangland murder give you status? I think it probably did when I went in, the
1: same as when the first time I went to prison and I went in as, as an armed robber and the newspapers all said, oh, Black Widow Gang bank robbers and
0: it was like, oh wow she's a bank robber. It was sort (laughs) I know it's sort of weird. It was like Most women aren't in prison for those serious crimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's right. I suppose it was like in the prisons, the hierarchy are the armed robbers, et cetera, which there were the, quite a few men. But I think I was the only woman. <laughs> and everybody said, oh, wow, it must have been really exciting doing this. And I went, well, not really, because look at the sentence I've got. Who do want this? And they used to go, oh, yeah, but I bet it was wonderful, Linda. And I used to say don't even think about it. <laughs> Don't do it. Not worth it.
0: There was certainly no glass ceiling when it came to your gangland career anyway. You didn't feel that as a woman you couldn't step up to the mark. Um, where did you meet Myra Hindley? Um, the first time I met Myra Hindley
1: was in Cookham Wood. And that's the very first time I saw her was when I walked up and slapped her. She was in the laundry. There was just her. I took my... Um, laundry and they said to me, I was in the library next door. Oh, you can take your laundry in now. And I went in and she was getting washing out the machine, but she was singing to the radio. And I thought sort it of just saw red. She turned around and I just walked up and slapped her around the face. And she stood up and she sort of went like this and went, and there was a handprint on her face. And she went, I could get you shipped back to Holloway for that. And I went, Holloway holds no fears for me. But actually, I walked back in the um, library and thought, "Oh shit, I don't want to go back to Holloway. I've just progressed to cook, them. <laughs> But um, and that was
0: my very first meeting of us. Was that an attempt to show power, or did you? No, no, it was. It was totally.
1: I think I was probably as shocked as her that I actually did it. It wasn't, oh, that's her, let me go and hit her. It was sort of, it, it just happened. I just thought, she's singing. I just wrapped her went
0: whack. And it, and it was, I think it was as much of a shock to me as it was to her. Did you warm to her at all? You became her hairdresser, I think. Oh. No, really. You couldn't warm to her. She was, she was a...
1: Not a nice person. She really had a, a real evil aura, a real evil aura
0: around her. I don't think anybody could say they really liked her. And over your time then, did you make firm friends in prison? I made a couple. I mean, over the length of years, I suppose, I, if I say
1: four people, that I made friends with, that I stayed friends with. That's not a lot in all those years. So, but the ones that I did meet were really, really lovely people and people that I'm proud to say they're my friends.
0: You continue to hold attraction for the men of the underworld. You married Daniel Reese, the hitman who killed Ron Cook while you were in jail. Yes, and we
1: both said... It was such a mistake. We don't. I mean, I think it was because we were both just in the same boat, and I felt he understands my plight, and I think he probably thought the same. And we sort of was a little bit—it's us against this whole system. And when we first said, "Oh, we would get married," and all the girls in Durham went, oh, a wedding!" Oh, we're so excited. We're all going to make dresses, and we're all going to do. And then when I spoke to him again and we talked to we said, you know what, it's really, it's, we wouldn't marry each other outside. This is, this is not on. And I went back and said to girls, we're not getting married. And they all got really depressed and went, please get married. So I think we got married to, to give the girls a wedding.
0: A day out, essentially, even day in. And, and then a couple, about two years later, we just got an amiable divorce. So then you got a marriage proposal from Charles Bronson. I used to get a marriage proposal from Charlie, I think every six months.
1: And he didn't call me the Black Widow. I was the Black Rose. And he used to say, you can't be the Black Widow. You're the Black Rose. When are you going to marry me, Black Rose? And I used to get every six months. And I'd say, well, not yet, Charlie.
0: <laughs> was this just a pen pal relationship you had with him or you know, did he know you from some way? I mean, the male and female prisoners don't mix. No, I never I never
1: knew him. Um He knew Danny and Danny said to him um, that he was my co-defendant, etc. And he said, oh, I think she's amazing. Can I write to her? And he said, yeah, I'm sure you can. And... So he started writing and I used to write. And then he used to write to the girls sort of like a little newsletter every week. Hello, girls. How are you all? Blah, blah, blah. And I think it just gave him sort of something to focus on other than being in solitary and wanting to beat the screws up.
0: <laughs> and what about the craze? I think you had a marriage proposal from one of those too.
1: I had two from Reg. And the first time he said to me, oh, I'm hoping that I will eventually go home one day and you're going to go home. Um, he said, It'd be nice, you know, to think that we could set up and have a nice place together, et cetera. And he said to me, would you marry me? And I said, I don't think it's really a good idea. I said, I don't think it's going to get either of us out if we get married. And he went, yeah, you're all right." And he said it again about six weeks later. And when he said it, I said it again. And he went, OK, forget what I said. And I went, what did you say? And he went, thank you.
0: And what do you think it was about you that um, so many of these dangerous and violent men, you know, were attracted to you?
1: I don't know. Maybe they had an affinity with me thinking they'd sort of, been down the same path, so I don't know really. But I know I've got loads of marriage proposals in prison 50 or 60 marriage proposals from people I'd never met. And I thought, God, who's the nutcase? Who would want to propose to somebody they've never met in a prison?
0: So when you eventually got moved to the open prison and you're on the way out, you were able to kind of go up and down to the village and go in and out of a pub, have a drink that kind of thing, a bit of, bit of normality. Yes. And there you actually did meet somebody that you agreed to marry, George Caesar.
1: Yes, I did. And um, we were sitting waiting. Three of my girlfriends had picked me up and we'd gone for a meal. And we went in and they said, oh, yeah, can you wait over there? for be about half an hour for the table. We said, yeah, that's fine. And he was sitting with a friend of his waiting for a table and there was a seat next to him and he said, oh, if one of you ladies want to see. So I sat next to him. He said, would you like to go out for meals? I said, oh, that'd be nice. So he said, right, um, give me your number. I'll pick you up Wednesday, Thursday. And I went, no, you can only take me out on a Sunday. (laughs) He said, why is that? So I said, because I'm in prison. And he burst out laughing. He went, no, come on, why can't you? I said, no, I am in prison. And he went, well, you can't be in prison. They don't let people from prison go out. I said, they do when they're nearly finished and they're going home in a couple of months. So he said, fine, give me the address of your prison and I will come and collect you next Sunday. Well, he got lost and he was about half an hour late and everybody else had gone out and I was standing in the the lobby and the staff were all having their tea. And I thought, I'm really feeling embarrassed because they went, oh, Linda, why are you still here? So I said, oh, my visitor hasn't turned up yet. And I came down and there he was standing by his car waving and going, sorry, I'm late. And one of the staff said, we took his number. If he's a crook, you've had it. And I said, he's not a crook, he's a businessman, a bona fide businessman. And that was it. The rest was history.
0: We got engaged and got married. After all that, it seems that fiction is... Stranger than facts. <laughs> but The Locksmith, the new book which is in the shops from March onwards, uh, The Locksmith, It's um, is it as interesting as your real life?
1: Well, I hope it's more interesting.
0: <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the plot.
1: Um, well, without giving too much away, it starts off with... Um, a brother and sister. They grew up in the East End. quite a poor family. Their parents are very honest. Um, Most of their friends have got criminal families, members, um, but they've really been brought up. No, it's a no-no. And then um, things happen. They lose their parents. Uh, And they decide we can sink or swim and the sister decides to take a first step into the criminal underworld and really i can't say a lot more without giving too much of the plot away but um she really
0: they really rise to the to the higher echelons so and a female is your uh, your key character of course which is uh is something you you do know about uh from your own experience Um, as you say a two book this will be followed up uh, uh, with another Um, and congratulations on it I'm sure it feels good to make an honest living
1: thank you I've really really enjoyed writing it and I hope people enjoy reading it as much
0: Linda thank you very much for your time today
1: thank you you're welcome as always